Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, Don. J.J., what do you do when you're tired, but you need to perform? You've got something you got to do. you got a meeting coming up. you got a sales call. you got a workshop you have to deliver. Yeah. But you're feeling it at 2 o'clock. What do you do? <laughs> I do the stereotypical, like, I'll do jumping jacks. Oh, like, you get yeah. your blood flowing. Yep, I actually like have to. I will. Well, even there, there have been times. I know this may come as a complete surprise, but there's been times where we're getting ready to record the podcast, and <laughs> I'm a little tired. Yeah, and I put my arms above my head and I start like pumping fists in the air. <laughs> like, you, yeah, I've seen you do that. Yeah, that's what you're like, doing. You're trying yeah, to get your blood I'm going. I'm just like getting my blood going because once we start, and same yeah, thing yeah, like the, when you're about to teach or anything, yeah. it's fun, it's exciting. But you'll sit down, and you're like, all right, I got to do this, and so I do the stereotypical like. Move my arms, move my feet. Smart. Sing the song Father Abraham. Had many Father sons. Abraham. You know, I'll like kind of do all those little things yes. that you have to do to get yeah. excited. So you know what I discovered recently, and you and I have had a couple conversations about this. I was at Entree Leadership Summit in San Antonio. Yeah, one of the most fun events I've ever done. Well, first of all, we took Betsy's baby sister. Yeah. So my wife is Glow. the oldest of seven, and her parents adopted a little girl. When she was an infant, she's now five. So we took Glow with us, uh-huh. and I looked at my schedule that day. It started at 1 o'clock and went to basically 9 p.m., and there were no breaks. I had three speaking engagements, two interviews, a Q&A panel. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. And I knew you can't be tired at the end of the day, or Betsy's going to be really mad. <laughs> <laughs> because she had Glow all day, so she you She had like... Glow all day, so you're going to have to, you're going to have to show up tonight. And, um, and for whatever reason, we've all heard this a million times, but whatever reason, I was like, okay, what's today's strategy? And it just clicked in my brain, you're going to have to drink a lot of water. Yeah. Like, just drink a lot of water. And I did, and... That night, I came into the hotel room, and Entree Leadership staff did this wonderful thing. That there was a giant pool at the resort, uh-huh. and they gave us like this giant blow-up swan <laughs> that both uh, <laughs> Betsy and, and Glow were trying to deflate. Uh-huh. And I full-on suit and tie came in, and I just wrestled that swan and got it. And I'm like, where am I getting this energy? This yeah. was like one of the most exhausting days of the year. Yeah, I had tons of energy. It was absolutely fine. So I thought, tomorrow I'm going to drink a gallon of water, and I did. I kept it going. We actually flew to France. Yep. And normally, I would do two to three days of jet lag. The next morning, I woke up in Paris, and I was fine. It's like we lived there all our lives. And then went and did a business thing in London, flew back home. I've had a gallon of water every day since that day. It's been about 12 or 14 days. And I'm realizing, I think I just did 30 years dehydrated. Yeah. (laughs) I think I was drinking Diet Cokes and whatever, stuff that doesn't really hydrate you. Yeah. And it's been mind-numbing, the difference. Yeah. A friend of mine, I did an interview for a podcast of a friend, and one of the questions that was asked was, what do you do to be creative? What are the things that you do kind of to prep yourself to be creative and be able to kind of teach and stuff? And I actually said, this is a boring answer, but Uh before I do a private workshop or our live workshop, I extra hydrate, I get plenty of sleep, and I make sure that my shoes fit. Like that, oh, it, like you just I make need sure to have you're not comfortable have... feet. Yeah. If I have comfortable feet, I'm hydrated. And now, this is what we talked about: is April, one of our staff people, she knows us, so she comes and she makes sure I'm drinking water yeah, during the you workshop. Forget. I forget. I'm running around, so she'll come over and just hand me a glass of water, and I down it right there because I know that something like that. If I'm going to 
do a marathon two-day teaching, I need to be have slept well, I need to have ate well, I need to be hydrated, and my feet need to feel good. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's a ton of other tips, too. The reason we're even talking about this is because we have with us today the author of Micro Resilience. Bonnie St. John is a former Paralympian, yeah. and she has one leg, and she just dominated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she talks about that story a little bit. Tim and I heard her speak in Arizona, yep. and she was so captivating and amazing that we literally went, we've got to get her on the podcast, and yeah. it's been months and months, but f- she finally was able to talk to us. She talks about how you get rest quick. You know, there's a lot of people who would come on and say, hey, you need to just work five days a week, you need to turn your phone off at five, you yeah. need to have work-life balance, which fast, here's what's different about Bonnie St. John. She wants to win. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, yeah. she's like, no, work seven days a week, keep working, don't ever stop. You, you, we have to win the Olympic gold. You know, yeah. sacrifice everything. Yeah, and take one minute naps. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is a fun perspective. Yeah, she actually kind of corrected me in the interview. She goes, I don't know, we're not talking about work life balance here. We're talking about you know winning. We're yeah, talking about winning. And I, I was like, so take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. but you know, fascinating stuff about how the brain works and what we need to do to keep going and operate at the highest level, and really simple, applicable stuff. And I love it. One of them is stay hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> Which we actually... So simple, but Yeah, we did this so... interview. Maybe that's why it was on my mind. Yeah. Because I actually talked to her before San Antonio. I think that's why I did it. I love how applicable like this is. We yeah. get people on, the, on here so that they can change our lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, that's I always it. say it's free consulting. <laughs> yeah. You would normally pay these people like thousands of dollars an yeah. hour. And you get an hour with them uh, <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> that would be fun to do an episode on like lawn care. And people are like, why is Don... <laughs> why would he think we need to know about how to trim rose bushes? Yeah. Like, no, this guy's really expensive. Yeah. Like, we're on a podcast. <laughs> I love it. We'll start making our wish list now. That's exactly it. Okay, so if you've been wondering, like, how do I have more energy? How do I get more rest quickly? How do I figure all this stuff out and keep performing at the highest level? You're going to love this conversation. Again, her name is Bonnie St. John. The book is called Micro Resilience, and here's my conversation with Bonnie. Bonnie, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great. I'm excited. I heard you speak in Arizona. It was wonderful. I hung on every word. And your book, Micro Resilience, Minor Shifts for Major Boosts in Focus, Drive, and Energy, is, you know, it's more than just a topic I'm interested in. It's a topic I need to talk to you about. So I feel a little bad because I'm going to get 30 minutes of free consulting (laughs) here today. (laughs) And I have a feeling our listeners, you know, they're folks who are kind of like me. Their business blew up around them. Hopefully, if they're doing story brand, they're exploding even more. They're wearing multiple hats. They probably feel like they can't get to the project they need to get to or they want to get to because they're so busy keeping all the plates spinning and keeping everything from falling. They're tired and they feel like, when is this going to end? Or why did I, you know, of course, I started this business and I need to make the money, but why am I doing this again? And you really address those realities and give strategies on how to enjoy your life again. Am I on to the right track here? You are, but I think people should be careful because when you say that, it could sound like I'm saying, oh, it's a wellness program or (laughs) throttle back. And it's really not about throttling back at all. In fact, it's I grew up in a real drive yourself until you drop mentality, you know, just push yourself really hard until you fall over in exhaustion. You go, see, I'm so tough. You know, I drove myself that hard. In today's world, we're all moving so fast. 
drive yourself until you drop isn't actually enough anymore. Like you said, with the, the situation you described, you're wearing 10 hats, your business is growing, you know, that's not enough anymore. And by the way, when you drive yourself until you drop, the last, you know, 30% of the time was not worth much, right? Meaning it's not an effective strategy anyway, if you want to accomplish a lot. You become ineffective. There's diminishing returns to driving yourself until you drop. So what we're looking at is in a world where the pace just keeps accelerating and accelerating, I can't slow down what's happening to you. But if we can speed up recovery, if you can recover quicker from things that you have to perform at, things that you have to do, meetings that you have to go to, if you can speed up the pace of recovery, you can be a little bit more in balance. So that part you started with saying you can enjoy your life more, that's what we see with people that are really using micro-resilience techniques. They do have more energy to enjoy life, to enjoy family. Actually, it's so funny, the number of people that start dating once they get on micro-resilience. We were starting to (laughs) laugh about that and somebody said, you know, well, I'm married, you know, maybe I should do micro resilience because I can't start dating. You know? <laughs> but it, even if you have a spouse, you could be not dating your spouse, right? You could be coming home and you're so wiped out by everything that happened at work. You can't connect mentally, emotionally, anything. And so the idea that you could be dating your spouse is a good idea, too. And to be specific here as a differentiator, you're not telling us to do less. No. You're giving us strategies on doing it because you are still a massive overachiever as a human being. You are still <laughs> doing you. you're still okay. doing that. And JJ and I talked about all your accomplishments. You don't want to slow down. You've got that Enneagram three instinct, right? You want to win. And as do I, I also want to be present in the moment when I'm talking to somebody rather than tired from the previous conversation or wondering what's in the next conversation or, you know, those kinds of things. I love that you give us some practical strategies. Can we jump into the strategies that are in this book? I just want to make sure people get the big picture, though, too, that this is yeah, about give us the big picture. really small adjustments that you can make. Well, something that helps put it in perspective is there is a piece of research on why certain tennis players always win. Oh, yeah. I remember this from your talk. Yeah, because this sort of set us on the track that we went on, which is you go to the U.S. Open and everybody's world class that's playing, right? Mm-hmm. But there's only a handful of names you're really tracking because they always win, you know? So the researcher wanted to see what puts you in that category, what separates you from everybody else. And now everybody's got talent. So maybe that person serves at 90 miles an hour or another person runs really fast. You know, people only have different skills, but he said, what's the common factor that sets you apart? And he couldn't find anything consistent until he started looking at what they did between the points. And he said, a pattern jumped out immediately. He was looking at video and he said, people thought I was crazy because I was looking at tennis players not playing tennis to understand how they won. (laughs) Yeah. But what he saw was they did small behaviors that helped them recover their focus, drive, and energy. Just little things like putting a racket into the other hand, you know, so you rest your racket hand, not getting distracted by the crowd. And then he started putting heart rate monitors on them and interviewing them about their self-talk during the game. And he saw that the top players had a way of recovering their focus to go into the next point. So you could be distracted by losing a point, right? Or you could be distracted by winning a point, you know? So that ability to just come around and have full focus for the next point is really important. If you and I are playing, by definition, we have the exact same amount of time between the volleys, right? Yeah. So it's about one person using that time more intentionally in evidence-based ways that make a difference and being more effective. So that's why we talked about speeding up recovery. So if two of us are playing tennis and we start with the exact same skills, but you're recovering your energy drive and focus between every rally, by the end of the match, you're going to look like your skills are twice as good as mine. 
That researcher took the insight and used it to train other tennis players. Now it's commonplace in tennis. They put it into golf. They put it into different areas. But we wanted to take it to the rest of us, the business world, the the even a stay-at-home mom who's working from dawn to dusk. You know, if you're really pushing yourself hard and you want a little more, you know, this is the secret of how do world-class players get a little better than all the other world-class players, you know? So it gives you that extra edge. So this is not about throttling back. It's about being more competitive and it's tiny little things that you do between the points all day long. What are some other things that tennis players are doing and how do they translate to say a boardroom and a series of meetings all day, very intense crunching numbers and making decisions like that? What are little things that people are doing on a tennis court that translate into our lives? It doesn't translate. So we had to go do research. Gotcha. You had find... to do completely different things. I can't exactly. carry a tennis racket with me in the boardroom and hold it in the other exactly. hand. Be okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we took the metaphor of the between the points, between the volleys idea, and then we went out to scour the research to say, what are the evidence-based ways that if you're in a boardroom or you're a nurse or you know anything, that you can have more recoveries along the way? And so we looked at physiology, we looked at neuroscience, we looked at psychoneuroimmunology and positive psychology. So there's 21 different evidence-based ways that you can recover your energy. But the beauty of the book is when you understand each of the frameworks. So we, I can give you some specific tips, but when you get the book, you can understand the science in each area. And when you understand the science and you understand the kind of hacks that help you get at the science, you can start making up your own tips too. So that's the important part is to understand, like with the brain, when you understand some of the limitations of the brain, you can avoid them and then you're smarter. So for example, decision fatigue, it's well documented that if you make a lot of decisions in a row, your decisions start getting worse. So judges, there was a whole study done with judges where they were giving out parole And they looked at all the evidence of who was getting parole and why, and it didn't correlate with the merits of the cases. It correlated more than anything else. It correlated with time of day. That's amazing. And how tired the judges were. And this was across a whole bunch of judges. Judges are smart. Judges are trained. You know, it started at your odds of getting parole were about 65% in the morning. And then as the day wore on till lunch, it went to almost zero. But once they had lunch and came back, it went back up again. And then towards the end of the day, almost zero. I remember reading about President Obama and how he only wore one suit, a black suit. You know, he maybe chose a tie, ate the same thing for breakfast every morning. And literally, he stated the reason was, I want to be spending mental energy on more important decisions than what I'm going to wear. I thought that's really pretty savvy. Those are the sort of strategies you're recommending? So you can reduce the number of decisions you have to make. Another thing is checklists. Checklists are really powerful. There's the book, Atul Gawande wrote a whole book on checklists in the healthcare sector. Not having to make, you know, checklists for things you do repeatedly just means you don't have to make as many decisions. You don't have to think as hard. So it is conserving your thought energy for the most important things. Multitasking is another thing that really destroys our brain power. They say being interrupted while you're doing things can be like losing 10 to 15 points on your IQ. Wow. You know, multitasking is fine as long as you don't need accuracy, quality, or innovation. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to fold laundry in front of TV. That's great multitasking, you know. But for a lot of the things you have to do 
when you're running a business and you're trying to be strategic and you're working on intense projects, if you're getting interrupted all the time, you think you're getting more done, but you probably is taking you longer to do things than you need to. And the quality is just not going to be there the way it should. So what we suggest is creating zones for yourself. So you can't not multitask ever. You know, we're going to multitask. You're going to have people texting you. You're going to have emails. You're going to have this whole flow of information. But can you create islands in that flow of information when you do your most important thought work or writing an RFP or designing a new brand campaign? When you have to do that important thought work, carving out the time. And the secret that we see for that is really communicating with other people about your zones. So communicating about communicating. And the people you work with probably need their focus time too. And so it's a matter of saying to your team, you know what, you know, it's part of our culture now that we just interrupt each other all the time, you know, so how can we change the norms of the way our team works so that we all get what we need, but we're not constantly interrupting each other, which is mentally exhausting. One of our staff members, we were talking about how can we increase the productivity of our company? And Susie actually came back and said one way would be to take the doorknob off of Kyle's door. He's our graphic artist. He's our chief designer. He's our marketing guy. And everybody bothers him all day about everything, and he can't get anything done. And I just thought that was the most insightful piece of information, that just stop bothering Kyle, and we will be more productive as a company. It makes complete sense. I think we forget that you know if we were an athlete, we would pay very careful attention to our bodies and our muscles and those kinds of things. But when we think about ourselves as executives, we don't think that we have to actually monitor our mind and figure out, you know, I love this idea of do the most important things first. And I found that when I was a writer writing books, I had a year and a half to write a book. I could take days off at a time. I could eat anything I wanted. I could work in the evening. I could work in the morning. It didn't matter. I had a year and a half to write a book, which is really about an eight-month project. And when I started a company and that company began to explode and I began to lead it, everything changed. For instance, like I don't eat breakfast. I work better on an empty stomach. I can't eat any carbs for lunch. And none of this has to do with losing weight or being healthy. It has to do with my mind simply can't, I can't eat those things and live that way or not get a night's sleep. I've got to be in bed by 930. Because if my brain's not sharp, it's going to cost the company a lot of money. Right. And you can feel it. You can I actually feel it. Feel There's it no question. I don't know if you use this insight. This made a lot of difference for me too, is exercise. So we talk about micro resilience and we contrast that with macro resilience. So we coined those terms to get this clarity. So the macro resilient idea of exercise is that you exercise, you know, three or four days a week and you work out really hard for an hour. But if you had to finish an RFP or really finish a project, you might say, I exercised yesterday, I'll exercise tomorrow, but today I'm just going to focus on this important work. That's macro resilience. Micro resilience says you know what, if I exercise just a little bit in the morning, I'll be smarter. My brain will work better for hours afterwards. So I can't afford not to exercise (laughs) today if I have a big project. And it looks different. The research shows 10 minutes of walking. There's one study that's 20 minutes of dancing shows that afterwards you access your memory better. You make insights across different ideas. You generate more creative ideas, you know, all of those things for hours afterwards. And so once I got that insight, if I was going to sit down and work on a book for a day, I made sure I did some cycling or got on the elliptical and then sit down. Do you do that too? I do. Yeah. So I get up usually around six in the swimming pool by, if I'm honest, 730 maybe. And then I have to be in my riding shed by 9 a.m. And from 9 to about 11, I write. And that is no food, empty stomach, usually no coffee. I have a little shake that I drink that has some vitamins in it. 
and between 30 minutes an hour of swimming, and it's very light swimming. Like I know you're an Olympic athlete, so if you saw me, you'd be like, Don, that is not called a workout. That's called, <laughs> it's called floating. <laughs> no, that matches exactly with the research, that if you're doing it for your brain, you can overdo it. You know, you're not trying to exhaust your muscles. That's exactly how I feel. I don't feel like I'm there to lose weight or get in shape, although all that is happening. I'm there for one reason, and that's my brain. My brain needs to be sharp that day. And plus, you know, it's the opposite too, Bonnie, like teaching workshops and, you know, figuring out somebody's marketing strategy, it's exhausting. And by the end of the day, my brain is just completely spent. And of course, then what do you want to do? You want to eat sugar and you want to drink alcohol <laughs> and you want to turn on the television because it's the quickest way to feel like you're getting rest when really it's ruining you for the next day. And I think that's the cycle a lot of us find ourselves in. And that's a great point that you make too, is about how you feel at the end of the day. So the stuff gets thrown at you all day and I can't change that. But if you could be less drained by what happens to you during the day, you're more likely at the end of the day to exercise or eat right and not right. just choose a beer. Or be able to enjoy a dinner out with friends and not just be exhausted. And yeah, not mentally not present as well. And so micro resilience is about going through your day and stuff happens to you, but you can have techniques to be less drained by it. The amygdala hijack is a good example is we, we get into fight or flight mode, which is called an amygdala hijack. Literally, your brain is hijacked by your primitive brain. So it shuts down access to some of your advanced thinking your heart rate increases, your breathing is more shallow, your vision actually narrows. And this is a great reaction if you need to flee a saber-toothed tiger or hit somebody over the head. But in a modern office, we do get triggered. We do get that threat response to various things that happen, but it's exactly the opposite of what we need. You know, At a time when you need to be thinking, you need to be engaging teamwork, you would be doing the opposite. And so it's very draining it's not helpful. It's not productive. It doesn't help you solve that problem. So part of what microresilience does in the reset framework is teach you to recognize that pattern. And sometimes it's more subtle than others. Dan Goleman, the researcher who did all the seminal work in emotional intelligence, yeah, talks about the main triggers that happen in the office that cause an amygdala hijack. And it's things like feeling disrespected, feeling not heard, unreasonable deadlines, right? That happens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things are actually happening. Sometimes like not being appreciated is actually happening. Sometimes you just think you're not being appreciated even when you are. So we can get these threat responses sometimes when nothing is really happening. We're just awfulizing or sometimes something really is happening. So, but either way, it's exhausting and draining and it's not helping us solve the situation. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Bonnie St. John in just a moment. We have a live workshop coming up, and I'd love for you to come. You want to go to storybrand.com to register, and you're probably wondering, Don, what do I get at the live workshop that I don't get in your book and I don't get in all these podcasts? Here's what you get. You actually execute the framework within 48 hours. I mean, you actually figure it out. You leave with a very clear message and a step-by-step -step marketing plan that you can execute that will get you a return on your investment. Listen, I know how it is to fall in love with a book. I remember reading Four Disciplines of Execution and realizing we have got to execute this. We've got to execute this. And it took us months and months and months. And looking back, I probably should have just signed up and gone to their workshop and figured it out in a short period of time. Not only that, but you actually get to know you're doing it right. There's so many times during the workshop where somebody will stand up and read me the message that they came up with. And I said, actually, that's not it. You really want to say it this way. You get that kind of feedback and interaction 
So not only do you get it done, but you know when you leave, I did it correctly and I'm actually executing the story brand framework and the story brand marketing plan. I want to see you. Come to Nashville, Tennessee. You want to register at storybrand.com. Register for a live workshop. Register somebody you work with. Come together. Spend two days, two and a half days in Nashville. It's a beautiful place to come. We do the workshop right downtown, so you can actually walk down to Broadway and hear all the great live country music and all that kind of stuff during your free time. But come, and we would love to give you the confidence that you did it correctly. And not only that, just the fact that you got it done, period. Go to storybrand.com and register, and we'll see you really soon. Bonnie, I want to do a 30,000-foot overview of some of the points in your book and give us some practical tips. You talk about refocusing our brain, using our brain more efficiently. You say on page 56 of Micro Resilience, if we reduce the constant struggle against mental exhaustion, we can replace the exertion with fulfilling impulses like empathy, joy, and creativity. How do we refocus our brain? We've been talking about refocusing your brain. So we talked about decision fatigue, reducing the number of decisions you're making, using checklists, creating zones so that you're not multitasking constantly, being able to have more focus and help the rest of your team have more focus. So all of those things help you to use your brain better. In the reset category, where we're talking about amygdala hijacks and you're getting exhausted because you're getting a threat response to various things that are happening in the workplace. Like if you don't get invited to a meeting that where decisions are being made and you think you should have been invited to that meeting, your brain responds in the same way as if you were starving to death. Hmm. So for that, it's really simple things. There's research out of UCLA on labeling. Matt Lieberman did fMRI brain scans and shows that that response that you're having, I think of it as like a runaway train, you know, is the momentum is picking up, you're getting all emotional about something and you're getting upset, steam's coming out of your ears. You can dial that reaction back just by putting words to what you're feeling. You don't even have to do it out loud. So you'd be sitting in a meeting and somebody says something that blows your mind. (laughs) If you just start saying, you know, how do I feel about that? I'm feeling betrayed or I'm feeling humiliated or I'm feeling shut out, you know, just by putting words on how you're feeling, you start accessing your prefrontal cortex, your advanced brain, instead of getting stuck in your primitive brain. And when you get stuck in your primitive brain in those bad office situations, you know, one of the biggest indicators is you come out and you go, oh my gosh, I did or said something that just wasn't me. Yeah, I have a friend who taught me to do a body check. And I find myself actually doing this, not often enough, but maybe once a week, when say I, I, you know, I'm angry or something like that, or I'm frustrated or I'm tempted to go you know, drink something or whatever. And I'll just say, okay, well, what am I feeling? What is my head feeling? What is my chest feeling? And it's amazing how the feeling subsides a little bit, but whatever it is that I was going to do to distract myself or to react, the temptation goes away. It's a powerful tool. When you're in your lizard brain, you know, you're just reacting and your prefrontal cortex is part of what helps you restrain your impulses and you're, you're just not using it. So you literally are not you. When you say, oh, I wasn't me, it's literally true. It sounds like you're doing a lot of micro-resilience things. And so some people find that when they read the book, they go, oh, that tracks with something I've been doing and that tracks with something I've been doing. But what happens is when you can put it in the overall paradigm, like I was saying, is you see the science that you're reacting to it helps you to be more consistent about it. It helps you to explain it to other people and say, hey, you can do this too. Here's how we do this. So having the overall framework helps us to use all of these ideas more consistently. And that's where we see people making a real leap forward is when you might be good at one or two or this or that, but when you can do it all consistently, it's really powerful. There was a doctor 
who working in urgent care who went through the program and we tracked certain people for a few months afterwards. And doctors often get behind on their charts. The paperwork piles up and they can't keep up and they're seeing a lot of patients. There's so much pressure in the system now to see so many patients a day. And he started doing this and he was able to keep up with his charts a lot better. He didn't have so much work to take home. And that wasn't even like a goal. It was just a side effect. He also started dating. Hmm. He was one of the ones who started dating too. Because <laughs> he didn't have charts to do at night. Yeah, so yeah. he started dating. Yeah, well, he probably got in touch with his heart too. Got in touch with his human beingness. You talk about reframing your attitude, and you have several techniques, and they're all so powerful. I want to focus on one in the book, and that is reversing reframe. Turn your obstacles upside down. That's a really fun one. Yeah, we've been, it sounds like Viktor Frankl a little bit. Oh, I love Viktor Frankl. Isn't he amazing? We've been doing this work in companies since 2011, and so we've been in a lot of places and gone to a lot of groups, and reversing is so powerful. What we do is we just ask people to write down an obstacle or a limit that they're facing. On, we usually do it on an index card and then say, flip it over and write the opposite of that obstacle. So it could be something like, I don't have the budget that I need to do innovative things. I didn't get an increase in my budget, so I can't be innovative. So you flip the card over and you write, I can't do innovative things. You know? mm, yeah. There was a woman actually was doing this on a radio show. And there was a woman who was listening and she emailed me after the show, actually. And she said, I wrote on the card, I'm going to lose my house after the divorce. And she flipped the card over and said, I'm going to keep my house. Hmm. And so you write it down, even though it sounds impossible or unreasonable, you write it down anyway. And what it does is it kind of tricks your brain into just trying on the idea of what if it was possible. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's kind of a quick and dirty thing. It's so fun. There was one chemical company we worked with that decided they would implement it as a team thing that they did at their team meeting once a week and have one person kind of put in an obstacle, flip it over, write the opposite, and then have everybody else brainstorm on it. Oh, well, how could that be possible? I love that. Even just inviting the opportunity that something might work out well is so healthy. Yeah. And there's no guarantee. It's it's not magic, but it often is like magic. So the woman who said she was going to lose her house, she emailed me after the show and she said, I flipped the card over and I wrote, I'm going to keep my house. And she said, I realized my mother is aging. She can't live on her own forever. And I could move her into my house, even though she doesn't need to move in with me now. If I move her in with me now, I can afford to keep the house even after the divorce. But she had been so focused on, I can't afford the house and the divorce. You know, it's like you get so focused on your limits, you don't see past them. And this literally happened to while I was in a workshop, this guy wrote down, you know, I didn't get my budget increase, so I can't do innovative things. He flips over the card. And it seems obvious once you say it, but he said, oh, I can reprioritize the things I'm working on now, get rid of the least productive things, and then I'll have room for the more innovative things. And that sounds so obvious, but he wasn't seeing it until he flipped over the card. And our brains tend to go to the worst case scenario and all the negatives even when there's all sorts of opportunity around us, it's just amazing how our brains do that. So it's our executive brain that we really have to use to take over that primitive instinct, isn't it? It is. And we're programmed to respond quickly and intensely to negative or even the possibility of negative. Because Which makes what, sense. We yeah. had to survive. Yeah, the yeah. people who didn't do that died and were not descended from them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Okay, I'm really interested in your take on this. And you have this umbrella idea of refreshing your body, increasing your fuel efficiency. You say on page 152, the human capacity for complex thinking and subtle social interaction is as dependent on consistent supply of high-performance fuel and fluids as a Ferrari. I completely believe you. And this is really tough because 99.9% .9 of the options that we have around us for fuel 
are terrible for your brain. And not only that, if you're in an office, the office is full of donuts. I go to one big business and they have a cereal bar. We get cookies delivered to our office at least every week. Temptation is everywhere. I think everybody needs a good cookie every once in a while. Please don't. Uh, Just not every day, three times. Not every day, maybe. No, and I go through airports. You know, I struggle. Oh, airports are the worst. I really struggle with this. And so I got a new nutritionist a few months back, she said, don't just try to track it in an app. Just send me pictures of everything you eat. So I was sending her pictures of everything I ate. <laughs> That's humiliating. <laughs> well, it was very sobering because if you have to take a picture of it, you think twice oh, about eating it. Man. But anyway, it made me realize, though, that I'm an urban forager. You know, I can be in five cities a week and I'm running through airports and I'm late, you know, I'm trying to get on a plane. And now in planes, half the time, they don't even serve a meal anyway. Even if you're in first class, they come around with this basket of cookies and potato chips and you know, I'm human. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> you know? kidding. And you're tired. Saying, Your brain's tired. I'm tired and saying no to that, you know. And sugar feels good for 10 minutes. So one of the coolest things my nutritionist, she showed me on Amazon, they have these things. So it's a shaker, like a shaker bottle, but it has a blender in the bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had been taking a shaker around and it's all gloppy and I try to do protein shakes, but it's horrible and it's messy. This is so great. You put the lid on. I've done this inside an airplane while we're flying because I don't need to plug it in. You can blend a shake and have a protein shake. Bonnie, you know, you're going to pat me on the back for this. I had to teach for two and a half hours this morning. I didn't have breakfast, so I was pretty tired by the time I finished teaching. And one of my favorite Mexican food places is on the way from where I was teaching to the house where I was going to do this interview with you. And I just thought, you're going to talk to Bonnie St. John today, and you're going to be carved <laughs> out. So I came home, put a banana in the blender, some peanut butter, and some coconut oil, and just for you, Bonnie, my brain is 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see that. No, and it sounds like you really get it with this, that it's about little micro things that you can do that are going to give you a huge payoff in terms of brain performance. And if that's going to give you an edge... You know, that's what we need. We're, we're all business people. We're competing. We're trying to get our best energy. And the economy is just asking more and more from us every day. And you've got to be smarter than you were last year or you're not going to survive. It sounds like you really get it. And this Well, I get it halfway. I get it. But I need your advice and consulting as much as anybody. I promise. I'm bragging. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. But <laughs> this refresh concept. So out of all the frameworks, the refresh, it's about micromanaging your metabolism. So making sure you're keeping your blood sugar even. If you eat that donut, the problem is it puts you on a roller coaster, right? Your blood sugar goes up and then it goes down. And then it's harder to do everything else. So you're trying not to be emotionally hijacked. You're trying not to get that hijacked. So you do something stupid. But if your blood sugar is low, you get hangry, right? Yeah. You can be angry because yeah. you're hungry. So if you're not keeping your metabolism even, it just makes it harder to do everything else, to keep your mind clear, to keep from being emotionally hijacked, to stay positive. The other part is water. And that's really another way to kind of contrast macro and micro too is the macro idea of water is, you know, drink six to eight glasses a day. And that's great. You know, you might drink some glass of water in the morning, you might drink some water in the evening, but a lot of people, right when they're doing something really intense, that's when they forget to drink water, right? Mm, if you're yeah. going to give a speech or if you're finishing a proposal, you forget to drink water and your brain is a higher percentage of water than the rest of your body. When that feeling, when your brain's kind of fuzzy and the ideas aren't coming, often you just need to drink water. You might not even be thirsty. You might not even know it. But if you drink water, you get more mental clarity. And we quote in the book a lot of studies for that, too, that students who drink water before an exam do better. 
there's a lot of evidence for that too. And you acknowledge in the book, we're not just bodies. It's bigger than just our body. It's our spirit. And you actually talk about renewing your spirit. You say on page 196, purpose has a mysterious quality that expands our life force beyond its normal capacity. The exact mechanism of this transformation may not be fully explained by science, but its power certainly can be harnessed. I know you love Viktor Frankl, but talk to us about the power of experiencing a deep sense of meaning and purpose in life that sort of leverages our bodies to produce more. Well, I really saw it too when I was training to be a ski racer. So, you know, I have one leg. My family didn't have a lot of money. I'm the first African-American to even win a medal in Winter Olympics. But one time I was training and I didn't have a car. I got a job at a diner. I was serving the breakfast and lunch shift. And I had to walk a mile to get to the diner to work from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. So I'd be on my feet, walking a mile, going through eight hours of work on my feet, and then walk another mile home. I only have one leg. You know, after a couple of days, I was staggering (laughs) in there. I imagine it's cold where you are, too, where you were. Yeah, this was in fall when I started. I was working in fall, and then I was going to go into the ski season. But yeah, it was tough. Eventually, the owner said, you know, I can pick you up on my way to work and made it easier. But when you just think about that kind of perseverance of pushing yourself so hard to the absolute limit, you know, I didn't do that because I love serving hash and scrambled eggs to construction workers. I did it because I was on my way to the Olympics and it was my dream and I wanted to see what I could do. And accessing that kind of power is transformational. And you want to be able to help your team access that kind of power in big and small ways. Well, you have some practical steps to help us access that kind of power and sense of purpose in the book. Bonnie St. John, what a wonderful conversation. The book is called Micro Resilience. We did not scratch the surface. So if you are feeling tired and you want to get more done anyway and actually be more productive and have more focus and more energy, Micro Resilience, minor shifts for major boosts in focus, drive, and energy. And what I love about the book, everything is just so stinking applicable. It doesn't stay (laughs) philosophical. It's just little things that you can do. And to the percentage that we actually execute on these things is the percentage we become more productive and have more energy. Your work is super important. Bonnie, if people want to know more about you, where do they go? Best place to go is microresilience.com and you can get more information about the book. You can also go to bonniestjohn.com to get a little bit more information about me. All right, Bonnie, thank you so much. Will you come back and visit us again sometime? I would love to come back and visit you. Awesome. All right. Well, we look forward to a long friendship. So, JJ, now we will be rested no matter what we do. Yeah. We will be able to stand in line at the DMV. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in for it all. <laughs> and, and, now, and be challenge rested. accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Much, much performance is expected of us now. Yeah. She's fascinating. Yeah. She's intense. Yeah. You could tell. I mean, she has that White House executive level personality. Yeah. Well, any Olympian, that's part of why I love the Olympics so much is yeah. I'm just, I'm fascinated by how all in that you have to be to be at that yeah, level. You do. And, and you know, it, so when you're in your late teens and early twenties, I think it's really healthy. Yeah. I think it's really healthy to be, I was like that as a writer, not, not fully, but just completely immersed. Yeah. I was going to write a book or I was going to die trying. And yeah. I don't know that I could do that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd probably end up in yeah. a divorce. <laughs> but, you know, she's fascinating. And I love people who have accomplished all that she's accomplished. And she's yeah. definitely not only Olympian, she's been great for the world. And her yeah. work in the White House, she's just been amazing. So, Bonnie, thanks for coming on the show. Next week, fascinating. Yeah. We've all heard about blockchain. We've all heard about Bitcoin. We've had conversations about this. Yep. Next week, we actually have an interview with Peter Smith, who is the CEO of blockchain. Yeah. 
And Allie went and got the interview in London. Yeah. So Allie actually, it's a nondescript apartment somewhere in London. Yeah. This guy's... Uh, he's legit. He's legit. And he's and one he's, of the it, smartest it be, people in the world. <laughs> yeah. There's the Saudi... I think Saudi Aramco is going to go public. I'm not sure what stock exchange they're going to trade on. That will be the biggest public offering in history. And the next one after that's supposed to be bigger is blockchain. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. This guy's going to be worth like $25 billion yeah. or something right away. I'm making that number up. Yeah. It's going to be worth a lot of money. Anyway, here's a little tease of next week's conversation with Peter Smith, the CEO of blockchain. Every financial system has a lot of volatility. And what's more important than the volatility is speculation. So people often think about the US system as like this safe financial system. The US system is predominantly speculative. If you look at like the ratio of leverage to real assets, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the ratio of like daily trade versus actual assets, also crazy. Mm. And so for a financial system to work, there has to be this healthy degree of you know, speculation or volatility. Digital currency is just like any other financial system. There's a lot of speculation, a lot of volatility. Now, what makes it different is that it's easier to understand it. So if I go out on the street today and I'm like, hey, guy in front of me at the coffee line, <laughs> did you know that there is X trillions of dollars of derivatives outstanding over the US dollar? He's going to be like, nope. <laughs> and we'd be like, did you know they swing by XYZ multiple on a daily basis? And he's going to be like, interesting. But if I go up to him, I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of digital currency? And he's like, yes. I'm like, how volatile do you think it is? He's like, well, it goes up and down like crazy. It's in, it's insane. Yeah. And it's it's because it's a little easier to understand yeah. than like a, you know, three-way put on the price of oil balanced against, you know, a basket of currencies or something. All right, I'm fascinated. I confess I'm a little lost yeah. in that whole conversation. Well, it's great because we talk about that in the interview a little bit of explaining what it is, how it works, and all that stuff for those of us who are on the outside a little bit of it's, how of it's, all of it. It's uh, considered early research on how, what the world's going to look like five to ten years from now. Yeah. And we all have to adjust our business strategies, and uh, I think that's going to be super, super helpful. All right, two things before we close this week's episode. One, if you haven't picked up my book, Building a Story Brand, you want to do so now. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It explains the Story Brand seven-part framework. We talk about a lot of things on the podcast, but the thing that we do at Story Brand is explain and teach a methodology, a framework that helps you clarify your message. Because if people don't understand you, you're wasting a lot of marketing money. So go get my book, Building a Story Brand. And for those of you who already have, probably most of you already have, thank you, thank you, thank you. We just got word it sold, uh, I don't know when this will come out, but as of today, in eight months, sold 110,000 copies. Amazing. It really is amazing for a business book to be able to do that. We wouldn't be able to do that without you guys and you guys telling your friends about it. So thank you so much. If you haven't picked it up, go pick it up. It's the cheapest way to understand and get involved in the framework. Also, from time to time, musicians will stop by the Story Brand office to play a few songs for our staff. Last week, Steve Mokler. I've known Steve. Well, Tim's known him. Tim used to tour with him, right? You were like his touring manager before you went to Apple, and then you came to StoryBrand. So you guys go way back, and you introduced me to Steve maybe five years ago, so I followed his career. Gee whiz, this guy can write a song. He wrote this song that before my mother passed, like if I hear this song right now, I'll start crying. Mm. And he just talks about, you know, when uh, I'm getting choked up. <laughs> I can't even go there. I can't even go there. Anyway, uh, you know. Personal reasons. He's just near and dear to my heart. He's a beautiful human being, he and his wife, Gracie. And he's got a new album out. It's called Born Ready, and it's going to be available on Spotify and iTunes June 15th. So by the time you hear this, it's coming up. It's just a few days away. It's on Friday, June 15th. Again, the album is Born 
ready. And his name, if you haven't heard of him, is Steve Mokler. He's one of the best songwriters I've ever encountered, and we're grateful to have him stop by the office and do a little live session. So our gift to you this episode is a live performance from Steve Mokler. Here we go. We've been putting in the time, rubbing nickels and dimes, adding up what we're saving. New tires on the truck, little coffee in your cup. What you want to name the baby? Just a couple dreamers for the home team. We're helping they can pull through. Always like the underdog, don't we, honey? Cause it's kind of like me. It ain't always roses coming up out of the ground. We didn't always get it right, get it right. But now we never get it right, get it right. If it weren't for the heartbreak, wouldn't have a story now. Alright, alright Life ain't always easy But it's hard not to love it right now Hard oh, oh, not to love it right now Every now and then It all comes together And your world comes back to life Sitting in the grass And you ain't even worried If it's greener on the other side Well, I know right where we've been Bottom and back again Make a real good lover and a damn good friend I said it once and I'll say it again Make a real good lover and a damn good friend Ain't always roses Coming up out of the ground We didn't always get it right Get it right But now we never get it right Get it right If it weren't for the heartbreak Wouldn't have a story now Got you in my arms Don't know what I did But I'll play my cards Right now I wouldn't change a thing If the honey ain't sweet And the beat don't stink Count off the band Baby, one, two, three It ain't always roses Coming up out of the ground We didn't always get it right Get it right But now we get it right Get it right For the heartbreak What an have a story now Interlude music from this episode was by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>